Hey there, skips and skipperettes from all across the vast electronic wasteland known only as Internet Land. And welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Well, this is a very important episode for us. Uh, if you are a regular of riding the Jungle Cruise ride at Disneyland, uh, if you have been to the fantastic Skipper stand-up show in Fullerton, or if you've just been around Jungle Cruise culture in the last 10 years, you probably know of Skipper Kip Hart, former Skipper of the Year and Beauty Show contestant. Well, the rivers are a little less funny because two weeks ago, Skipper Kip left the jungle and Disney for other opportunities and to pursue his amazing work doing stand-up comedy. Kip is working a stage almost every weekend somewhere and he's getting more and more notice in the stand-up game. We're all happy to say we knew him when and we're just waiting for him to keep on snowballing and getting bigger and bigger. Uh, He's a really incredibly funny comedian and we couldn't be happier for him. So as you uh, may know, we don't interview people who are currently employed by Disney, so as soon as Kip left, we made an arrangement to have him sit down with us. Now, Kip had joined us four years ago on the show, and we just recently reran those episodes, but in this episode, we catch Kip in a more reflective mode. We chat about the beginnings uh, at Disneyland, Kip's beginnings, not Disneyland's beginnings, uh, as well as advice for new skippers and new stand-ups. Now, we've been documenting the history of the Jungle Cruise for six years now, over 150 episodes, and this is one of my favorites ever. All right, here we go, everyone. Season 6, Episode 12, as we present our conversation with the astounding Skipper Kip Hart in an episode we like to call Goodbye, Mr. Kips. Kungaloosh, everyone. you're including me in this because I, I, I feel the same. People seem to want to hear uh, your and, and Rex's uh, <coughs> first appearance on the shindig. Yeah. How long ago was that? Uh, four years. Oh my goodness. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Yeah, we put up we put up the reruns of the last two weeks and like a uh, thousand-ish people just wanted wow. to listen to the, uh, the old stories of the days long ago at the Block at Orange. The block at arms. We had a little. Did we do like a little game show thing? We did. We too? did. Oh is yeah, it, yeah. Is it Cirque du Soleil or is it a prescription medication? That was brilliant. That was a lot of fun, uh, and we stumped a lot of people. It was. It was pretty yeah. interesting. How uh, anyway. well, you know, is it Selexia or is it Zumanity? Either one could be a cholesterol <laughs> medication. We should put those two questions up to Trump. Uh, see how long how good he would fare with that. Uh, somehow, I have a feeling he he knows his pharmaceuticals well. Well, I think because every I think he's been school the past yeah. couple months. So. Every every seventy two year old man that I know can tell you the exact contents of his uh, medicine cabinet. Oh, yeah, I didn't think about uh, that. You know, I, standing in front of it trying to figure, remember what to take for that day. And yeah, I unfortunately am medication free. I probably should be on some kind of medication, but you know, he's, I'll, I'll wing it. He's well, you know, you have an iPhone. You could have had health care. You know, one or the other. There's a trade off in life, and I. I chose uh, small amounts of radiation over large amounts of radiation. As, as opposed to working at Disney where you get large amounts of radiation. Yeah, well, uh, that's a, a different kind of uranium. So, so Skipper Kiphart, which is great because the Skipper is an honorific that you will carry for the entirety of your life. It's uh, not, not deserved. It's just a thing we can put on your name. Exactly. No, it's, it's certainly not an earned thing. It just happens when you go through traditions. There you are. You get your your revelations. Like, uh, what was the show they used to do? Revelations, where they reveal, you know. I'm pretty sure that traditions is Jewish and revelations is the Bible. Okay, so that's the end of the story. So actually, the end of the story. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. So well, it it is over now. Uh, Uh, Two weeks ago was my last day at Jungle Cruise, and uh, would have been really embarrassing had they put you on. 
on you know phantasmic or uh, or some kind of lame parade shift. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just saying specifically phantasmic because it's down. The down. The show's down. I'm the show's down. Up there with a flashlight yeah. on my own. Yeah. Your last day. It's like. Uh, Could you park your stroller over there, please? I mean, that would be actually be kind of fitting, actually. If, um, if if I had pulled like my last day and they gave me like a parade shift, I would be up in Tarzan's treehouse smoking. Well, I, I have to give some credit to. Uh, I was going to give credit to Frank Rios, but he bailed on me uh, on Friday, so I had to finish up. But Frank Frank had good intentions. He was going to uh, uh, give me a jungle shift on Saturday. So, um, and, and then uh, my uh, uh, Adam Readers went went to the extra mile for me and uh, got me set up with. Uh, the jungle shift on Saturday, my last day, mm-hmm. instead of Big Thunder. Can, and, uh, can I make a note, by the way? I think the Extra Mile would be a great name for a bar. The Extra Mile. Yeah, I, w- I went the no, Extra Mile for you tonight, honey. I think that's, I think that's genius. Yeah. So, uh, Kip, Kippy, uh, when did you start? I don't. We never, we never did. The last time we were on, we didn't actually talk about your history yeah, at all. I don't all, remember so. exactly when, what we talked about. When, when did you start with the the Disney Company? Uh, so do you want to go back to like to the dark days of downtown Disney, and then? I'm, no, I mean, just when did when did when did you begin your association with a paycheck? Okay. That had a signature so I, on it. I was. It seems like a, a perpetual story of mine, but I was out of work um, back in 2003. Uh, I was making a transition, looking for you know a full time day job, and I thought, well, I could get something part time to supplement until I find something cool. And I thought, well, Disney might be a good idea. You know, it didn't seem like it was very, you know, stress-related. And, you know, they paid seven-something an hour, and it was a little bit of money. And so uh, the hiring process at the time was very quick. And before I knew it, I was working at the World of Disney store in downtown Disney. Um, uh, that's where I met Larry Mays. I met Larry Mays is still there. So he transitioned over to the park, and he works at Jungle also. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was miserable. It was the most miserable eighth months of my life. And my whole my whole goal was to get over into the park and work at Jungle, and I never really had like a lifelong dream to be a skipper, but it just seemed like that'd be the a good if, fit. If if I was going to work anywhere in the park, I want to be at the Jungle Cruise. I thought it'd be a good fit, and uh, I was not mistaken. Uh, well, my last day at World of Disney Store, I walked in and I scanned my card to, to clock in, and I just sat there and looked at the clock, and I said. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. And a manager happened to be walking by, and I just turned around and handed him my ID. I said, I'm done, and I walked out, and that was it. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, the, the strange thing is I, I, I have the picture in my head of that happening. I, I have a suspicion it happens a lot more than you would think. Oh, I'm sure it was. That's not the most unique experience ever for, for a manager. Guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I expect they see that pretty. I worked at this my last job. I, uh, when I first started working there, they were looking for a receptionist, and we literally, like in six months, went through twelve people. Oh yeah. They would come in and work a day, and not show up the next day. I mean, it was like it was. I'd never seen anything like it. One day, one day, this gal came in. She's going to lunch. She said, "Okay, I'll see you. I'll be back." And then she left and never came back. So I. I I think it's a, not uncommon. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people use uh, temp agencies for that kind of stuff. That's what, they, and that's what they were doing. They were because using temps. Can, yeah. And then we finally hired a temp, Jessica, and she was amazing. She ended up being a manager eventually. But you know, yeah. it took a lot of. We kissed a lot of toads. So I would have been at Jungle when you were at World of Disney, because uh, I hired in 0203 in the into Disneyland from DCA. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some, I, I, Maybe I recall. So when did you actually get back over? So What's the six months to the day after I quit, I walked back in and uh, reapplied. Uh, for some reason, they hired me because, I mean, my points were, like, astronomical. That was part of the reason I quit was because I was late all the time because of my other job at the time. And uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, they said, yeah, you can come back, but uh, stores doesn't want you anymore. <laughs> I said, thank God. So they asked me if I had a preference. I said, "Well, I would love to be a Jungle Cruise. That was my, you know, that was my initial goal." And they said, "Well, we can't promise anything, but we'll see what we can do." And that's what they always say. And so then they, I, I went to the tr- traditions, and when they do the re- big reveal, uh, there it was it was Jungle Cruise, and I was ecstatic. So that was uh, May two thousand four. Yep. D- and who 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 it was? Because that's you know proper English. Of course. Uh, who who was your trainer? Who did you? Uh, Randy with? Grant. Yep. And do you, uh, remember, do you remember who your, your buddy was? Your yes, buddy? I do. Matter of fact, his name was Aaron, and uh, he didn't last very long. Uh, but I tell this story in the in the Skipper Stories book. 
uh, Aaron, we were training. This is, funny, this is fun. So we were training, and we're in the boat by ourselves, just the two skippers and then uh, Randy. And so Aaron was spieling, and we get to Schweitzer Falls, and he goes, up ahead is Auschwitz Falls. And, <laughs> and Randy and I looked at each other, and I looked at Randy and I said, did he just say what I think he said? He goes, I'm pretty sure he did. So we said, well, I said, well, let's listen again. So we go all the way around, and we get back, and Randy kind of uh, schools him a little bit and stuff. So we take off again, empty boat. And uh, sure enough, he comes up to Schweitzer Falls, and, up, and he goes, up ahead is Auschwitz Falls. And Randy, I started sure laughing. And Randy stops him, and he says, uh, you can't say that. And he goes, why? And he says, well, because it's, it's, it's supposed to be it's Schweitzer Falls. It's part of the spiel. And he goes, well, I can't say... And he couldn't say Schweitzer, so that's the only the German name he could think of that he could say. Uh, <laughs> and he, he only lasted like three months. Uh, he had some challenges, but yeah, it was, man, so funny. And Randy has a little black book that he keeps, mm-hmm. and he keeps all those little faux pas uh, in his book. And he registers them all and just like little funny quips or whatever. And uh, sometimes you use them for the for the summer shirt, you know, with the whatever slogan. He'll use some of those sometimes if they're really cl- really unfortunately clever. Yes. That uh, Auschwitz Auschwitz Hall is not clever. Did not make it. Well, it's clever <laughs> it's a, on a different level. Yeah. Tragedy for me. I know. I know. Just in comedy in general is. Uh, I should say, uh, not tragedy, but more like uh, one of my favorite subjects is um, uh, affirmities. Or like you know, there's a better word for it. But I, I you know, it's a, was it Mel Brooks who said you know comedy or you know yeah, tragedy is tragedy. when it happens to me, comedy is when it happens to you. Yeah, something like that is that's a no, that's actually that. Well, he's got one that's something about uh, comedy is life is I don't know, forget it. Let's talk about Jungle Cruise. Um, so anyway, yeah, 2004. Uh, it's uh, changed my life. It literally changed my life mm-hmm. and uh, I'm grateful for all the years that I was able to spend there and uh, so now, I mean, that, was, that was a good era though I mean that was right in the I mean they had just started tightening up the script uh, uh, yeah it was say, probably a little bit later than that but about 05 is what, for the 50th anniversary when yeah. they really clamped down yeah but, but I mean, did, the 03, I did, 04 they were getting tight were they, I, yeah. you know it was uh, I definitely caught the end of the rogue era for sure yeah uh, it was it, man it was so much fun that I wouldn't even take breaks. I would just take my break on the dock because I was afraid I was going to miss something. Yeah. And so uh, I, you know, I would do my task or break, and I would just go take lunch and then come back out. And it, and, and it lived up to its hype. And it was so, so much fun. Yeah. Well, and you got to miss. Uh, you should have been, You should have missed the bullhorn era. Because uh, you would have had guns all the way through '04. So. We had. Because uh, that was uh, no. We no. We had the, the air horns. Yeah, we had air horns. Guns came back in '05. Okay. Because that's what I mean. I was there during the the bullhorn era, and just right yeah. there at the start of guns coming back. Right. So yeah, the uh, yeah we had the air horns for for that. I never had a three shot. The only three shot I ever had was uh, uh, in, thir- in thirteen years plus or minus off time. No three shots. Really. Or six shot. So um, I don't know if that's a badge of honor or just whatever. But and the only three shot I had was because John Gruber. Uh, one of my favorite, favorite guys was lead that day. And I, I pulled into the dock and unloaded. Then I, I moved up to uh, to No Man's. And I told John, I said, John, come over here. And he goes, I said, my boat's running out of fuel. Because it was already sputtering. I said, I'm running out of fuel. And he goes, move it up. And sure enough, so I go, all right. So I pulled up and we loaded off. I took off in gorilla camp. We died and ran out of fuel. So he came out with the rescue boat just laughing. And I was going, eh, you know, yeah. whatever. It was fun. John's the only person I know who parlayed a, uh, a career on the docks with boats at the Jungle Cruise into a career at the Coast Guard. Yeah. It's a, that's a lateral move. In the Navy. It's a Coast Guard or Navy? He's in the Navy. Navy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a lateral it's move. It's like the grown-up Coast Guard, I yeah. guess. That's probably what the way they position it. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, because the Coast Guard uh, sells cookies. Yeah, they do. To help fundraise for their efforts. Yeah, they so do. They Navy's more They're out there in front professional. of Costco right now trying to... John's a good cat. Oh, he's great. Yeah, we, we, we've we kept in touch. So in that early days, what was the... Uh, yeah, at that time, you, I mean, you, you were funny and you had an amusing tone, but it wasn't, you know, the lifestyle, the heroin that it became later. No, uh, absolutely so not. So what was, what was the early days of Kip like on the jungle? 
Well, I certainly didn't know what I was doing. Uh, no, you know, it, it certainly evolved. Uh, you know, I never had any inkling to do, like, stand-up or anything. I just, I liked humor. I worked, grew up watching Johnny Carson late at night, you know, and, you know, the 70s had the great albums with, you know, uh, Richard Pryor and and uh, George Carlin, you know. Cosby? Cosby. I, was a, I mean, I loved Cosby. I mean, I listened to everything that was out in the... Yeah, I mean, it was he was huge. I mean, and his storytelling was, you know, phenomenal. And, uh, Stephen Wright, later on, you know, that, he's yeah. one of my favorites because I love yeah. that style of humor. He is... Uh, wicked with his uh, with his insight on stuff and how to twist it just right to make it uh, amazing but it never dawned on me that I could do that myself uh, but I started as I started doing Jungle uh, you know at first you kind of like you know you hit a couple here or there and, and you know and the script is awful so you have to kind of like mold it and make it you know more personable so that it uh, it connects with folks and you're not going to connect with everybody but uh so I learned that if I, uh, if you listen to the guests, they'll tell you what you're doing wrong, and then you can adjust. And you know, like for example, the PAs back then were awful. You know, you, there was like a handful that worked pretty good. So you know, a lot of times the, the guests couldn't even hear you, so the, you know they weren't laughing because they didn't know what you were talking about. So I learned how to articulate better, and then you could. They would say like, like they'd talk once and something. They'd say, "Oh, I can't hear him," mm-hmm. and I go, "Oh." They can't hear me, so I need to like fix yeah. that so that they, everybody can and be engaged. You know, it's funny. You have your presentation style, whether it's evolved or whether it started this way, works really well for the, those PAs because you're very deliberate and you're very. I, I've always felt like the the skips who either laugh at themselves and I'm literally mm-hmm. laughing at themselves, no. or who are shouters and screamers, and and you have to modulate the correct range for those mics to really. It's probably the number yep. one complaint that I have ever heard on Jungle is that you you know the sound system is so bad you can't really understand well, it. Fortunately, they changed that. But yeah, well, yeah, they, they were smart and moved the the amp out of the bilge, which uh, you know you know submerged amp. Yeah, we, we thought that would go bad. But yeah, that's uh, that's kind of. And I'll tell you the best advice I got because uh, when I first started going, I was like like a machine gun I was doing as many jokes in every scene as I could get in because yep. I thought that would be the best way to do it but you're walking over your laughs and you know they wouldn't catch the next joke because they were still kind of like mm-hmm. you know processing the joke before uh, but I got in one day and I was trying to do that dumb get out joke because I like it's if, if it's done right it's genius um, but it's done so terrible now it's like it's painful to listen to but I kept trying to like 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 uh set it up and then you know hit the punchline and then I was sitting there and I did it and I looked over and Jerry looked at me he was at Jerry's in the office Jerry York tapping his pencil and he he just looked at me and he goes just say get out and then it it hit me I said you know um, the the brevity of it is what makes it uh, funny yeah and it's it's not supposed to be like it used to be a faux pas and now they they've used it in like an intentional thing which is the wrong the wrong way to go with it. Well, that's, you know, look, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And that's the exactly. problem that when you have anything generational like that, there's always this feeling that you have to improve on it or you have well to yep. put your own stamp on it. And the more that that mutation happens, I guess, let's use the medical analogy, it's cancer. When, you know... When you have something that's mutated so badly that it starts to yeah. ruin the health of your of your spiel, it's cancer because it's just that's it's exactly right. rogue evolution. But no, noted. Yeah, but, but you know when you uh, there were other jokes that were like that that were uh, come on board is one that people kept on trying to make it a better joke. Mm-hmm. You know, come on board. No, come on excited. People would mess with that and monkey with it and. You know, there are two dozen jokes in that spiel that work beautifully if you mm-hmm. just just say you can, them. You can tweak a little bit to fit your personality, but otherwise, yeah. just go for it. I mean, yeah. there are some good jokes in there. Um, yeah, you know, that, so that's when I, I started. You know, I learned over time that, you know, I could tell by their reaction, you know, what was needed mm-hmm. to make it better. So I started cutting down on the number of jokes I did. Uh, one of the frustrating parts when I got there is the APs there. 
they knew the spiel better than some of the skippers sometimes, and they were they would steal the punchlines. And I was so immature at the time; it frustrated me. I didn't engage it and like make it, you know, bring it back, mm-hmm. you know, take control. So I started writing my own stuff, and that's kind of where I got my writing uh, chops and yeah. was creating my own jokes so that you know they would get off the boat. And they said, "I never heard that before." And I said, yeah. "Well, it's, you know, because I wrote it." So do you, do you think that APs? Because I, I actually haven't been at any of your sets where there's been any heckling. Uh, have you have you run into any in your stand-up? That never. I've never been heckled you, in stand-up. Do you think that if you if you were that your experience with the APs and with that you'd be able to handle that? I don't know because it's a, it's a different environment. Yeah. Or is it just uh, that it just helps you deal with the hiccups? The I think it just it, it it once you you learn once you expose to it enough. Mm-hmm. It, you, you know, you don't get rattled by it. You yep. can just—it's not a distraction, but you can just like, yeah, whatever, and just move on without having it. But I've never been heckled during. I mean, I mean, you know, I've had people shout out stuff and whatever, but it—it's never gone, you to know, a personal level. Yeah, yeah, never. So, I, I don't. Uh, one thing I learned at Jungle is—is is don't ask questions because I didn't like engaging the guests because it just—it just wasn't my style. So, like for the example, uh, the tiger joke you know do you know why tigers I think it's written do you know why tigers have stripes you know and then says so they can't be spotted Mm -hmm. or something like that and I would say that you know do you know why tigers have stripes and somebody start they start yelling out because they think I'm engaging them yeah by question so I changed it I said you know the reason that tigers have stripes Mm -hmm. is so they can't be spotted so I took control of it so I can you know uh so that's how I dealt with that mostly. Were there any areas, comedically or just spilling it, uh, were there any show scenes of the ride that were vexing to you that that just never seemed to come together like that? You know, like that well, aspect the, the did. Greedy or? gorilla, for one. That's just—it's in an awkward place. Uh, you know, the only joke that really worked there was you know, you know, that's something you don't see every day. Yeah, but I do. But everybody knows the the punchline, so I just like, yeah, you know, I I just kind of left it alone. And uh, I'm sure now uh, because it's you know it's filtered through, and you can probably do that joke now and, and get away with it a lot of times. But yeah, but no. that, yeah, and that's the other thing too is it's you know the what's in season. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I still think that the one of the things I one of the the jokes I remember that you hit better than other people was the uh, oh there's there's Schweitzer Falls we'll be going over that later your delivery on that was always uh, I don't remember where I heard that one first because yeah uh, but I liked it because it was different it wasn't you know like Dr. Albert Falls or whatever which is good but I yeah. mean I liked doing different stuff because it was uh, I just liked it being different for the guests you know and yeah. for me and it, when it's fun for me then the guests have fun uh, yeah it's uh yeah, it, you know, it, my spiel evolved. Like, in the first three weeks, it was completely different than when I'd started. So I just picked out jokes I thought would be good. Yeah. And I quickly learned that they weren't working for me, so I had to adapt. Mm-hmm. So I wrote, I've got about eight to ten jokes in the spiel. We had the privilege, you know, as you know, in 2005, we could submit material. Right. And I, uh, so I had quite, I would send up jokes, but I would just send up random jokes just for fun. Knowing they would not have any chance of getting in, like yeah, one of them was but they I, would have to discuss them because yeah. And uh, I know Kevin Lively would say when he and Kevin Rafferty would get together and go through them, they go, "Oh, that's a Kip joke. That's a Kip joke." You know, so they would kind of like sort through them. Uh, but one I sent up was pretty funny. When we got the ropes to tie off the more off the, the boats at the dock for that two or three years, however long it was, um, I wrote this joke and submitted it. I said, notice that we have uh, the ropes now, uh, so we can get tied up here. We call it uh, 50 Shades of Beige. And I, I submitted that one, sent it upstairs, of course, and never heard back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in the course of, uh, of your being at the John, I know you famously took a few... Uh, uh, Breaks in your employment history. Three tours of duty, as I like to call it. So the first one, 04, when I started, I, I, almost two years to the day, I left the company. I had to, couldn't figure out the scheduling thing. You know, I didn't really 
it was hard for me. And I, my son was playing baseball, and it was just conflicting with a lot of things. So I thought it'd be a good chance to to leave, and it was it was a bad idea because uh, I loved it so much. And uh, three months later, I tried to come back after that summer. Um, and uh, when I this is kind of a funny story. So when I left, um, they while I was working there, they had integrated the the online survey. You know, it's make sure you're not a murderer. Essentially, is what they're they're trying to find out. Uh, well, they had implemented this, you know, after I'd hired in, and so when I came back, they uh, said, "Well, you have to take this online survey. You can do it in, you know, there's a big room like the DMV. You know, we're taking your test." And they go, oh, okay, so and I was when I came to rehire, I was moving that day, so I thought, "Well, I'll knock this out, and then I'll go finish moving." So I come in and uh, and I, I knew what the survey was about. It's a psychological test, just to make sure, you know, like I said, you're not a murderer or something. And or, given or, or someone who's really bad at tests. Yeah, exactly. So, and uh, I proved the latter. So I knew what it was about. I'd given them before as a manager, you know, so I knew what it was about. But it's so long, and I was like, I was impatient. So I started answering, like, you know, kind of in the middle, which is you never do, by the way. Answer extreme, I, I strongly disagree or I strongly agree. Don't answer in the middle. A little hot tip for you. They won't, they're looking for the perfect person. That's exactly what they're looking for. And I didn't. Anyway, so I get through the test finally, and I'm sitting out in the in the lobby waiting to call my name, and they call my name. It says, Kippy Hart. And I looked around and I go, yeah. Well, I didn't know that when they just call one person, it's bad news. So I go in there, and I just left three months earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, managers saying, please come back when you can, whatever, you know. That's all right. So, uh, so I get in this room, and this guy goes, well, I hate to tell you this, but uh, he said, no, based on your online survey, uh, we don't have a place for you right now. I just sat there stunned. I said, what? And he goes, he started repeating. I said, no. I said, I heard you. I said, I'm just in shock. And I said, you know, I have manager's recommendations to come back. And he said, well, unfortunately, you know, because of your online survey, we don't have a place for you right now, which is the... Which means you're a terrible person, is what they're trying to say in a nice way, based on their survey. So, I was, I said, there's nothing we can do, and he said no, and, and then he got, then he said this. This guy's like 25, by the way. He said, well, maybe if you have, maybe in the next six months when you have a little more life experience, you'll do better. <laughs> and I said, okay, we're done here, and I left. And so I spent the next two months emailing and and talking to folks and they finally let me they actually let me retake it and uh, so I'm, I retake it and I'm thinking oh, I just aced this thing I'm sitting out in the lobby and this girl peeks her head out she goes Kippy Hart and it was just me and I go no way there's no so I'm going this is un, this is not going to happen so I walk in the office we close the door and she goes um, do you know do you know Scott Nelson and I go yeah she goes well I'm his girlfriend I just wanted to tell you, you did amazing on the test. So I go, oh, I said, just get the crap out of me. So anyway, so that was the second time. And I, I only lasted a year that time. Uh, and then... I, I, I should have overlapped with you in that. Yeah, that was 2000. Well, let's see. Because um, I, yeah, I was 06 to 08. Yeah, so yeah. So yeah I, I think know, that's when we worked together. Yeah, exactly. So then... Um, uh, so a year, and then I left, and I came back. It took about a year and a half the next time before I came back this last time. And it was almost eight years uh, this last time. And man, what a what a ride! It was fun, man. So much fun. I, I think it's well. First of all, it's nice when you hit that five year mark and they bridge your seniority. Yeah, uh, so that's I, a nice. Yeah, a so nice I got the five year thing going. The other two don't count because they didn't go up to five years. I tried, but they didn't, they wouldn't let me bridge it. Yeah. So it's okay, but I tried. Um, yeah, you know, it's you know, there's there's always. I doubt that I'll go back, but I'll never say never. Yeah, but it, I. It's kind of yeah. My cup is full. I plan on when I retire. When I'm in my late sixties, early seventies, I'll go yeah, back for two weeks for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know, uh, I you know, man, I'm fulfilled. Yeah. As far as my experience there. So is there um, when when in that scheme of things did the stand up. Uh, Bug start by what was your first? Well, what was your first um, inclination or wanting to do it? Or? I, still, I never wanted to do it. But David Marley approached me. Uh, he had this idea 
about doing a show with, and David had been doing stand-up already for a while. Uh, he had this idea about doing a show that just had Jungle Cruise skippers uh, called Skipper Stand-Up at the time. And he said, I think you'd be really good at it. You should, you should come do the show. And the first show was in uh, the summer of 05. I think that's right. Yeah, summer of 05. And, um, and I said, well, okay, I'll try it, you know, it, it, you know, what do you got to lose? And so he gave me the uh, recommendation of a book, Judy Carter, The Comedy Bible, and I read through it. It's a great read. It's a lot of fun. Even if you don't do comedy, it's very interesting to see this. It kind of helps you structure and kind of, you know, kind of help figure out how to write jokes. And so I had six weeks. I had to write eight minutes of material because each set was eight minutes about the length of a trip around the jungle. And, uh. I remember driving to the first show. I was at the Maverick Theater in Fulton, and uh, I had my eight minutes down. Well, I had it, I'm always, you know, super nervous. Of course, my first time ever on stage in front of people like that. Uh, and uh, on the way in, I'm thinking, I was thinking of a premise on the way in, and that I'm going to open with this new joke I'm writing on the way to the show. I didn't know that was a deadly idea, so I get up on stage. I get this new joke I'm open with. And I say the joke, and I do the punchline, and nothing happens. It's complete silence. And I'm going, oh, my God, what have I just done? So um, so I just moved on, like, you know, like that was it. <laughs> and, uh, and it ended up uh, recovering and had a really good set, you know, for the first time, I think. And that's when I caught the bug. It was fun. Uh, man, it was like, it's like parachuting without a parachute. It's just like skydiving. You're jumping out of a plane, no parachute, and you're on your own. So that was the first time. And it was, uh, man, it was fun. With skippers, and, you know, it's a friendly audience, so that helps, you know, so it kind of helps calm you down a little bit. But that was the first time. Somewhere on my, my computers, <coughs> I have a um, video of Benny's set from the second, <laughs> from the second uh, skipper stand-up. I need to dig that out. And man. I know I've put it up on Facebook once or twice, but... His cue... Spiel, his cue joke about the whale is so funny. We asked him to do it at the last Skipper show when he was there. He was there in the audience, and uh, we had him come up and do the... Have you heard that one? Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, hysterical. Oh, man. I, I would do it... I would use it when... If uh, if we were sitting out in the river, if you know there was a six-shot or three-shot, and we had to be parked there. So I would do it there just for fun to kind of break stuff up. So it was fun. I used... It was a lot of fun. So now, so when you're looking at a, a space of 12 years, uh, I mean, I think it's obvious that, um, you know, the the jungle time was a good primer. For Absolutely. You, for your, but at the same time, I think that there's, I think there's a lot of new skippers who go in with an expectation that that's what they want to do before it happens organically. I mean, what's your... I, What's your, if you were a trainer, did you make trainer? I did. Yeah? I was, uh, yeah, that second get, second time around, I made trainer. I trained uh, two groups, and one from each group made it. The other, two different issues of two different skippers. Yeah. Uh, or they didn't make it to the skipper, but yeah. It was. So for the people who come in who are gung-ho about the comedy aspect of the, the job, uh, I mean, what's your coaching advice as, as a as a leader among skippers? Listen to the guests. They'll tell you what you're doing wrong. And if you're humble enough, you can make adjustments. And, man, it's it's definitely a leg up in training ground as far as stand-up, if, that, if yeah. that's your goal. Uh, I mean, you're doing, you know, 35 sets a day. I mean, where else are you going to get that kind of training? Yeah. I mean, do you think do you think ego is a, is a killer for the job? Or do you think it's a... a I mean, that was always my, my difficulty was my ego was way too large. The first time I, I, I did some life events in the middle of it, kind of corrected well, it. But I, I had way too much ego in my first run. I, well, certainly if, if, if the ego gets in the way of you listening to the guests, because the guests tell you. I mean, I, I mentioned it before. Mm-hmm. If you let that get in the way, absolutely it's a hindrance. Absolutely it's a hindrance. Um, it takes years to really figure it out. And I, I thought you could shortcut it, you know, but there's no way to shortcut it. Yeah. Even with all the time at Jungle, you know, instead of doing open mics, I would just do, I would try jokes out of the Jungle because my stuff's clean anyway, so it wouldn't have crossed the line as far as that's concerned. It wasn't in the spiel, but 
I have stuff that I do in my stand-up now that I tried out at Jungle and they worked, and so I kept them. Yeah. So for, let's say you've got a, a, someone who comes in who, I mean, in their mind, stand-up is really what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, besides their time in the boat, I mean, where would you, uh, where would you push people toward in their their evolution if they've, they've been a jungle well, cruise skipper and they want to go farther you have to go and get on stage somewhere that's there's no shortcuts um jerry jerry seinfeld does a uh, a thing about it where he says uh, you know somebody came up and asked me he says you know i want to do this but i'm paraphrasing but you know it, it, what's the f- fastest way to get to where you are and he said i'm, he said, I'm looking to tell you right now there's no shortcuts he said, you have to put in the work. Uh, he said, he said he mentioned there used to be a comedy festival in Las Vegas with all these workshops and, and you know, different things to kind of help, you know, uh, develop your, your skill. And he said, you know what I would do? He said, I would take one of those big banquet rooms, uh, clear everything out, take one of those big banquet rooms, invite everybody in, have a big banner in the back that says, just work. He said, that's all you can do. He said, there's, he said I'm here to tell you there's no shortcuts. And then this, it was actually an interview by um, uh, Larry Wilde, an old school comedian. He turned out, he ended up um, uh, interviewing like, like, you know, Jack Benny, Johnny Carson, just all the way up to, I'm not sure how far he went, but it was, it was a couple of decades of top guys. And Jerry, this one interview with Jerry Seinfeld was in the 80s when he was at the top of his stand-up career just before the television show hit. And... Uh, and it's a, it's a great interview. If you can find it online, Jerry, uh, Larry Wilde, Jerry Seinfeld interview, it's, it's brilliant because Jerry is one of the smartest people I've ever heard on, uh, on this subject. Uh, and I got distracted. What were we talking about? Uh, we just talking about doing the work. Uh, yeah, here, I'll, the work. I'll, I'll distract you slightly more. Did you know uh, who the George Costanza role was originally offered to? Mm, I don't. Uh, Paul Schaefer. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which I... When you, it's a really interesting visualization. Yeah, that, absolutely. I mean, Jason Alexander's set in our heads about it. Yeah. But I mean, Paul Schaefer could have worked. I mean, uh, it would have been really... I don't argue that. Yeah. I met uh, Jason Alexander at Jungle one time. We were out front. We were down. And he was in the park with... He had like a little entourage of... Mm-hmm. He wasn't with, a, wasn't with a, a clad at all. Yeah. Well, and his son is now doing great great stuff. His son's really starting to work. No, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, his son's... Uh, early 20s and starting to do shows mm. so. so he came up to, to the entrance of jungle and he looked around and he, he put his finger and he pointed around and poked me right in the chest and he goes what no backside of water so we laughed and joked around a little bit and then he left it was it was uh, it was a fun interaction he was a good guy well and i i know that you've you might have heard the podcast once or twice if mm-hmm. it was someone oh yeah uh so you know we always try to to do the the big memories questions, mm-hmm. uh, you know, did you have any any particular in the boat memories that stick with you over the last thirteen years? Wow! Any any uh, celebrity interactions that, that really stick with you? You know, I didn't have anybody like really that I recall having. Uh, I'll tell you one. This was kind of funny to me. Uh, I was loading uh, at unload, and there was a VIP group, and it was. Uh, uh, Amari Stoudemire, basketball player. Yeah, and it, uh, he was injured at the time, so he was in the park just with family because he couldn't play. So he was coming in, and he's like six ten. He's a big guy, and I'm six five. So as he's getting in the boat, I grab his elbow and he's getting in. I looked up at him and I kind of held him to kind of stop him. And he looked down at me and I go, "I think I could post you up right now." <laughs> and he gave me this look like, "Are you for real?" And then I just like. <laughs> See you later. Have a nice day. And he walked him into the boat, <laughs> but he didn't think it was very funny. Um, it's it's not a lot of people who you feel uh, you know you have to look up to. Yeah, exactly. It's a pretty pretty small number. Of it people is. That you're, yeah. uh, and that's only only time I recognize being tall is when I somebody's my height or taller. Then I yeah. go, oh my god, what are you doing up here? Because uh, otherwise, I don't feel like I'm towering above everybody. I feel. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I had Marie Osmond my boat twice. And the first time I didn't, she was literally sitting in front of me by the by the mm-hmm. box, and we got the Trader Sam. It was that night, and uh, I was doing all the Sam jokes, and she looks up at me and she goes, "You're killing me!" And I'm doing the joke and I go, "Oh, that's Marie Osmond," but I didn't even recognize her. She was right there in the front. Yeah. This was Fat Marie. She was a little chunkier then, but then she got on. Just they were in in line mm-hmm. with her in a little group, and they just happened to get on my boat, 
one time, and she didn't she didn't remember, of course, but it was just uh, you know. I don't. Oh, I had. Uh, yeah. um, By the way, have you, have you gone back and watched the the Osmonds at Disneyland? That's on YouTube now. No. There's an old Disney special that was uh, right at the height of their teenage popularity, that has all the brothers, uh, and it's it's oh. Donnie and Marie take tours around Disneyland. Oh. It's really engaging in a kind of a creepy way. I can but. see the white pantsuit now. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Big lapels. There's yep, exactly. Lapels going oh on. yeah. Uh, I had Chris Hardwick on my boat, yep. and um, where was the other guy? Anyway, they did a deadhead with me, and I wish I remember who the other guy was. He's a big name. But anyway, I didn't know who they were at first. And then, uh, so we, we as we leave the dock... Was it, was it Will Wheaton? No, no, no. It was, um, uh, he was an actor, not a comedian. Uh, I don't remember what show he was on. He was on a uh, TBS show or something. I'll think of it, maybe. But anyway, it's... At first, you know, we leave the dock. They both with a, they both have a girl with them, and we leave the dock, and they're just taking selfies. And I'm going, oh, it's going to be one of those trips, you know. So we finally we get past the uh, indie queue, and we get into um, the shrine, and I'm just like mailing it in, kind of, because I figured they weren't listening. And then one of the girls kind of uh, said like a nice little tag to one of my jokes, and then we all laughed, and then it loosened up, and we had the greatest time. It was a lot of fun. So. They got engaged with it, and, you know, we just kind of bantered, and, you know, we did the jokes, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So it, it really turned that turned that trip around. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, I have huge uh, respect for Chris, because, I mean, I started doing this podcast uh, around the time the fourth Nerdist episode came out on podcast. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, I had already had plans kind of in the place, and so a lot of my, you know, influential, and I, I used to run into Matt Myra at the Grove, uh, but no, I mean, Hardwick is... A giant influencer of yeah. all of podcasting, but I mean, I think he's one of the best interviewers. Uh, I think he's the Larry really? King of our generation. Yeah, well, uh, he's great. He's a lot of fun. I watch his Bad Midnight show yeah. pretty often. If you have a good chance, I mean, some of his interviews with like Jeff Bridges uh, are incredibly powerful and deep, and I mean, there's really good, genuine interviewing oh, content indeed. that's in those. So, uh, sorry, no. Yeah, I, and yeah, we went. We went up to. Did you go up to At Midnight with us? No the taping. No. Oh, because I know uh, uh, John Bass. And there was a bunch. Of, the next time we go up, we'll bring you. Because I'd go love up, to go. Uh, we were there for when Fozzie Bear was a panelist. Oh wow! Well, then my my, uh, my comedy buddy Brian Monarch, mm-hmm. who hosts, he's produced a lot of shows here at Brea Improv, and then uh, he at the Comedy Store every Saturday night now with big names. And he finally got on. They pulled him over, and so he got on uh, at midnight a couple weeks ago. So it's pretty mm-hmm. neat. Pretty neat to watch him. He puts in the work, man. He's you know he's doing yep. this. A lot of work, and when you know when you put in the work, it pays off eventually. Uh, so, as far as other like memorable, uh, man, it's so hard. I mean, there's so many over that, and, I, and my memory is not good with stuff like that. Uh, it gets triggered every once in a while. I said, "Oh, I remember that happening," and uh, you know, I'm, man, it's hard yeah, for me. I mean, my problem is always that I don't recognize the celebrities until much, yeah, they, much later. They're so they're so. Uh, what's the word? They, they don't. Sometimes they really dress down. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's hard. To, it's hard to know who they are. Sometimes they get in the boat and, um, yeah. Really, I didn't really have any any major celebrity encounters. But, but even as far as like other like stories among other skippers or things that happened that you that really made an impact on. Well, I know uh, my last trip. I took. I had the privilege of doing two last trips, and then you know I had a last day last couple weeks ago. Um, I had this fake Rolex that a friend of mine bought me in Mexico. I said, "Give me a fake Rolex." It was like fifty dollars. It was beautiful, but it would lose like three hours a day. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> well, but there's so, 20, there's twenty seven hours a day on the hands. But so, I mean, it yeah. was like man, it was crazy. So, but it was it was a sweeper. I mean, it, it was awesome. But I never knew the time it was when I wore it, so it was kind of silly. But I would wear it once in a while, and people look at it and say, wow, you know, you make $7 an hour, and you got a Rolex. I mean, you know, it's what happens when you invest. Uh, so anyway, so on one of my last days, I was trying to figure out what I could do with it. So I wanted to sneak out in the jungle and maybe put on one of the natives, you know, the attacking natives or something like that. And I was talking to Mike Libby about it, and he goes, says, no, because this maintenance is out there all the time. They'll just take it off. Uh, he, he said, so I started thinking about it, and then I got this idea. 
So when we get, I do my last trip, I get to Trader Sam, and the tradition used to be that you could pass something along to another skipper, you know, uh, that, you know, it meant something to you, and then the skipper meant something to you, and you could kind of like have this legacy. So I made up this story about meeting, well, part of it's true. We, there was a skipper that came uh, to the 50th anniversary, and his name was Skip, and he was there when the park opened, and he worked at the jungle at the park opening. So he was a skipper there. And so when he came, we, we took him out on a boat trip. We got a bunch of skippers on a boat and had him go out. And we wanted to do a spiel, but he couldn't remember, so he just told stories. So I used that as the premise, and I said, you know, that's Sam just parked there. And I said, you know, I met this guy named Skip, and we, we developed a really good relationship after the 50th anniversary, and he gave me this watch that he used to wear when he was at the Jungle Cruise in 1955. And I said, it really means a lot to me. And uh, I said, I want to pass that along to, to another skipper that means a lot to me. It's been helpful in my career here. And I want to give it to Mike Libby. And Mike was sitting right next to me there. And he, he, he didn't really know. So I had it in my pocket. So I pretended like I was having trouble getting out of my pocket. And so I kind of pulled extra hard. And when I did, it kind of came out of my hand real quick and flung out into the river. Just plunk. And everybody just goes, oh. And I said, oh, well. And, brr, and I just pulled it in like, like it was not a big deal. And that was the end of it. So that was kind of like my, kind of like a little prank, I guess, if you want to call it that, at the end. I mean, are, I mean, Libby's one of them. I mean, are there, uh, I mean, are there, since we're documenting your, you know, Kip Hart, This Is Your Life. Yeah. Um, I mean, are there other skippers that you want to kind of acknowledge for their... Well, Jerry York is, uh, of course, on top of the list. His influence on the jungle, at that time especially, was, uh, um, it was perfect. Just the way he managed... I mean, he kind of let it be a jungle, but he would, if it got a little where he thought might not be appropriate, he would he'd rein it back in, you know, with authority. And it, I thought, you know, he let us be creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the, way that managed, the way he managed it was just stellar. Uh, Jeff Wheeler, another lead there, great friend. Uh, we dealt with a really good friendship there. And, uh, man, what, we had great times there, some of the, one winter it was raining so much I mean like every day it seemed like it was just pouring rain and those are some of my best memories of those rainy days just because it was so different you know and we would just make you know have fun have fun with it uh, Mike Libby of course he's uh, in my mind a legend there uh, Gruber man what a great guy we had a lot of fun uh, John and I uh, Randy Grant good friend you know he trained me a couple times um, I hate to leave anybody out because that's just Embarrassing, but there's well, so many people. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's impossible to, to hit everyone. I mean, it's Jason, right? And currently, Jason Lewis is is very Jerry esque, and he loves the Jungle Cruise, and uh, he's a, a good good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And that's the, I think the the biggest thing I took away from that and all the friends that I develop friendships I've developed there. Uh, yourself, you know, man, all the skippers that we do the skipper show together. Um, it's invaluable. It's yeah. just, it's... Well, because it's funny, because, yeah, I mean, Trevor and, and Joey would have been pretty much gone by the time you got to the jungle. Uh, Joey, yeah, they were gone. Joey came back for yeah. a little while. Uh, so I got to meet Joey uh, more one-on-one then, and Joey is a tremendous... I love him. He's very talented. Very talented. All those guys are talented. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I mean, my big... Look, I mean, we're six years and 150 episodes into this, and... Part of my takeaway is that I, I have friends from the 50s, 60s, 70s, yeah. 80s, Walt Disney World, Tokyo, Paris. I mean, it, it has broadened my uh, circle of people in my life to, to really enrich it. And, you know, I, I know that many people feel the same way about you. Um, well, that's, uh, you know, what, what a great time. I mean, it, uh, you know, I... I was privileged to be Skipper of the Year in 2015. You know, the Skippers voted, and I, it, that threw me back a little bit. But it was, it was uh, what an honor to be viewed by that way your peers, you know, and, and people. And I, I don't feel special. I just feel like a, a guy on the dock that likes to have fun. I, I don't, you know, put myself above anybody else there. It's yeah. just... Uh, well, but that's, I mean, it's a leading by example thing, and that's, you know... It's good because I think at Jungle, it's it's really easy for people to latch on to the wrong role models, because oh, yeah. the, the guys who are you know out there and being you know trying a little too hard or any of those things, you know, it's it's good that 
uh, you've got those positives to look at and you know have some mm-hmm. some uh, humility and temperance in the way that you do it because you know it didn't hit me until the podcast that the old adage about you're not the show you know yeah. that it uh it, it's it it took a lot of perspective of being away from my being in the boat to realize how true that is uh, and how deeply and that's you know it's yeah the stand up kind of helped me um, get away from being so because I, I I thought you know for a while there you because know, you're immature in a way you know I mean, I mean I was older but I was immature as far as being a skipper and thinking you know I can you know make this happen for people and and not knowing how to uh, balance the skipper and the jungle and make it, you know, what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And I, I did find that balance later. Because um, surprisingly, a lot of people think I was like, when I leave the dock, I was like 100% non-OG the whole time. That was, the, I think, the perception. And that's not the case. I was, because yeah. a lot of stuff I, I did was, was stuff that I wrote that was in the spiel, but nobody else really used it. Because it was, you know, you didn't really have to, anyway. So I was probably closer to the 90% range most of the time, unless I improv some stuff that you know, just happened to come up, which is, you know, yeah. not often, but happened every once in a while. But, uh, you know, that do, was the perception, though. Do, do you walk out with a, a, a non-OG or a, a joke that you put in the script that you were, that you have a particular pride that that was something that you contributed or favorite joke that really, like, sticks yeah. with you and makes you laugh? And, well, they all made me laugh. Well, that's, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, that's... Uh, I was kind of a cop out, wasn't it, from my part? Yeah, it's, um, it's, yeah. I guess one of them would be one of them is uh, I wrote. I actually wrote this joke as a longer version, but I did a joke at the Indie Q, and it's in the, um, this is the shortened version. And I'll tell you the longer version. You'll, you'll understand why I got rid of it. Uh, so, it, you know, right over there's the, the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. The reason they call it the Temple of the Forbidden Eye because Temple of the Forbidden Me is terrible grammar. Which I love that joke. I mean, and and I'll have to tell you, I have I got lucky because I had no idea if that was grammatically correct or not. I honestly didn't know. And but teachers would yell out, "Yep, that's right!" And I go, "Okay, I got this." I don't know how I lucked out. But the longer version, let's see if I can remember it, because uh, it started out as a as a play off the danger sign. Yep. And I would say, I said, and forgive me if I botched this, but because I never really, I tried it a few times, it never worked. Uh, but this is the longer version. I say, well, you know, when you're out here in the jungle, as long as I had been out here, you begin to smell, and then the danger, and then you point the sign there. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, of my grandmother um, and a dead cat. You know, it smells like something like smells like uh, Chanel number five and a dead cat or something like that. And then, it, and then, um, and then I go and right over there is the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. The reason they call it the Temple Forbidden Eye because Temple Forbidden Me is terrible grammar, and we just talked about how my grammar stinks. But it never really worked. I thought it was a good joke, but it never really worked. Yeah. So then somehow I figured out that that one section would be good, and I just got rid of the rest of it. And so that's in the spiel. It's a, uh, I'm pretty proud of that one. Shakespeare joke is good too. I I like that one a lot. Much ado about nothing. Yes. So I I tagged that with. Uh, so the, the joke is that the tacky natives, if you don't know, I say, you know, I don't act surprised. I say, oh, they're just, uh, I forgot about them. They're, they're working on their next presentation of Shakespeare. And then I would pause and then I would say, eh, much ado about nothing. And then I turn around and said, you know, I told that joke 12 nights in a row. And, uh, all, you know, and there's just a few people that actually get it. Some people would yell out, well, was it funny then? Yes, you know, some dumb stuff, but, you know. Um, there's some other jokes that, uh, uh, like, at the, uh, when the piranhas used to have more, there used to be more bones over there on the on the right when you go through there. And Austin Jeffs used to do this joke. It was so funny. Uh, he would pull up to that spot there where all the bones are, and he would, like, he would, like, catch them off guard, and, and he'd say, oh, that's what happened to the country bears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh my god, it was so funny. So uh, I sold that every once in a while, but the, but less and less bones are there, so it's not it's not as yeah. as dramatic. But yeah, I was I, I stole that one occasionally. So that wasn't mine, by the way. If anybody thought I was being a genius, it was Austin. So that um, I, yeah, I was going down to Orlando in February, getting to see the country bears was uh, was a bit of a time machine back. Is the is the theater full or is it like of, was it here of people? Yeah. Well, I'm, I was there for the last day here. I, I was in the audience on the last show, oh, okay. um, but yeah, the uh, the one there is I mean, 30, 30, 40 people. I mean, it wasn't empty, but it, it definitely is. Uh, How big's the theater there? Uh, one hundred and twenty. So it's like a third. Yeah, yeah, third. But the the problem with it is, is that you know they need to make a commitment to redo because the music's dated. I mean, it's it's really not. Um, Think they have like a rap song, rappers? Well, no, no. I'm just saying, as far as the country western side of it, it, you know, the bluegrass, it just hasn't, it hasn't held up because people don't know those songs. Because when the Bears first came out, that was the style of Dolly Parton. And think about that. You know, now the the no one knows the specific songs, so it's you know. When I would tell that joke, if some people, like especially older APs, they would they would oh I missed that. I said, well, obviously you didn't because nobody went to it. That's why they got rid of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's. It's the problem of whenever Disney ties things in with a, a specific cultural milestone is the farther you get away from that milestone, the less people are going to get the joke. And then it just comes with a nostalgic Yeah, and thing, then, yeah, and, that, and, you know, Disney's great with its nostalgia mining. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. I promised for one episode I wasn't going to bring that up, but... Oh, too late. Yep. Oh, well, we can edit it out. Yeah, probably. I, you know how good I am at that. <laughs> uh, and then and then there's Jen Chavez, who, you know, thank you for influencing her. And uh, those of you who don't know, Jen is our content manager. She handles our Facebook page. Jen is a treasure. She is, uh, she is a rock star waiting to happen. Exactly. And, you know, um, I've been asked... Probably a couple dozen times on how do you, you know, how do you get started in comedy, and so I will I'll take time to, to kind of help you know foster a path for them. You can't do it for somebody, but I can give them you know the same information that David gave me and yep. um, and if I think correctly, I think two people took me up on it. Uh, Jen was one, and then uh, uh, Nicole um, yep. uh, Buchanan. Uh, was the other and Nicola is really flourishing. She's out in LA now, just hopping on couches and sleeping and baristing and doing comedy. And I'm really proud of her. She's really putting a lot into it. And Jen, bless her heart, she squeezed it in between three boys and you know a husband and you know and life podcast duties and life and yeah. stuff. So uh, she's she's uh, killing it as well. And she's gonna she's she's got star potential for sure. Yep. Yeah, she's uh, she's a blessing to me, and uh, could not be doing what I'm doing without her to support yeah. the podcast and making sure the back end runs smoothly. And yeah. which, uh, as I get older, I find that how important having my back end run smoothly oh, is. Back end smoothery is is the best. Yeah. So, any other uh, last minute nostalgia memories? Uh, we go much longer. I have to split this into two episodes. Yeah, everyone hates that. that. Yeah, yeah. I don't do that. Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, you know, it's uh, like I said, my memory is always not so good about something yeah, like that. I, I, try have, to... I can always have you back on the, after the next time you go work at the park for a few years. Okay, we'll see. Back, but... You could do like what's, what's French for part three? Yeah, the 20, 2020 uh, version. Twenty twenty version. Yeah, that's probably unlikely. I don't think I'm going to live that long anyway. Um, I'm already fifty six. I don't people don't know how old I am, but I'm I'm up there. Um, fifty six is not up there. My my grandmother. Uh, Lived well into her nineties, and then she lived yeah. poorly into her hundreds. Yeah, my <laughs> my grandmother just passed away last year. She was ninety nine. She wrote a book for last year, um, and uh, so it's inspiring. But I don't know what else we could do for the next forty years, you know, so or thirty years. So. Yeah. Work on the Jungle Cruise. That's my, yeah, that's I could. My, my strategy. Yeah, uh, I want to be be there until I have to use the box, uh, the captain's crate as a walker. Walker, and you could just poop in it too, mm-hmm. and just put a little. Just, yeah, I mean, they can accommodate things. The uh, my my mom's mom, my grandmother was was a real piece of work. So my grandfather goes into the doctors and he says, "Sorry, we have to tell you this. You only have six months left to live." 
and he asked if he could get three months with good behavior. <laughs> yeah, I'll edit yeah. that out. But I love that joke. It's a funny joke. Yeah. Um, she was she was accidentally racist. She was. That's the you know that that whole my my grandmother was a loving loving lady. Yep. Uh, loved all people, but it's just a different era. You know, it just yeah. they, it wasn't mean. It was just it's just it was uh, kind of an innocent. It's just you know what they were exposed to. She she used to refer to the the black people and the brown people and the yellow people and the red people and the purple people, which I'm guessing was India. And I'm Maybe. not sure who the green people were. That I think she was just a little too conspiracy theory. Very envious whoever they are. Yeah, the green people. Yeah. Earlier, the waitress came by. I'm talking to your podcast folks there. So she asked us if we wanted something to drink. Would you like some wine or something with your drink? I said, no, I don't want any wine. No, I don't know what I want. Yeah, she didn't get it. Maybe you don't yeah. get it either. I don't know. Yeah, the problem, I thought I, it was funny. The problem with being... Look, I think we're in the, the, the second comedy renaissance. Uh, I think comedy is, is much more... Especially stand-up, it's... It's not quite as brick wall everywhere that the uh, the '90s were, the '80s mm-hmm. and '90s. But the problem is, since since it's so ubiquitous now, I, I I think people don't get when there's incidental comedy. Like when people aren't expecting it. Like it's like if I want comedy, I'm gonna sit down and watch a Netflix special. Yes. Uh, but if you know, it is segmented for sure. Yeah, I just I mean like I find myself having to not be funny with people because they're not gonna get it. So this last job I had. I just had like a temporary. It wasn't. It wasn't going to be temporary. So I, I, um, I sold gold coins over the phone, and they said it wasn't cold calling, but it was cold calling because people, you know, a lot of the people were, were people that are you, you figure they're eighties in their eighties and they're just sitting home watching TV and they say, oh, I wonder how much that coin costs, and they call in, and then they've got their information forever, you know. So they call these poor people back. And uh, this one guy I was talking to, this is very misogynistic, by the way, but I don't really care. Uh, so this one guy calls in. I'm trying to talk him into buying this coin. I said, listen, you're not going to get a better situation. I said, you can sleep with this thing at night. You can cuddle with it. You can hold on to it. I said, and it won't talk back. And I paused for a second, and he starts laughing. He goes, man, I didn't expect you to say that. So, yeah, it was... A lot of fun. So but I guess we, we just answered the question about what you're going to be doing in your 80s. You're going to be calling people who are selling things. Yeah, I mean, that's... Just, what, just that's, to talk to them, just to have discussions what, with... Uh, I mean, I can't tell how many stories I heard about these old people and their ailments and uh, or World War II, uh, you know. But it was fascinating. There was a lot of fascinating people out there, and it was a, uh, it was a lot of fun talking to them. I, and I would actually stand up in my cubicle like it was a stage, and I would like just like go for it, you know. And it was a lot of fun. It was a really good time. I'm gonna miss that job, but is I there make money. Uh, is there somewhere else in the park that you wish for, like a di- Disney park? But I mean, is there is there something that you wish that you could have just even had like one day to do a different role? Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just, just to have the costume on. Just not, not the costumes. Okay, I don't know. I'm into being trashy. Did, did you get to do a walkthrough of it? I never did. They they yeah. did it one night, and I wasn't available for whatever reason. I didn't do a lot of it when I left. I was gone. I didn't like. Yeah, because you had your other job. Yeah, but I just. I don't, I'm. I'm not a Disney file. I don't. You know, Walt's a nice guy, but I really don't care about. You know, I don't. It, it's not. Doesn't really attract me. I don't. Uh, it's not something that. You know, like, I'm going to go on Sunday with a friend. I don't know if you know Jerry Miller, but he's coming back to. He wants to go to the park. Been there a few years. He's my age, so mm-hmm. we work thunder together. So I'm, I have a comp left. So I'm just going to use burn up the comp and spend the day there together. It's be a lot of fun, but. I never, I rarely went in the park on my own, and I'd go take my son yeah. once in a while, or sometimes I'd meet some of the skippers, you know, Trevor and Rex, and we'd go and hang out in DCA and have some fun, but um, the Disney whole story, that really doesn't, I'm not really tied to it like a lot of people are, and I, I'm not putting it down, it's just not something that attracts me to it, yeah. and I love Jungle Cruise, and it's, literally it's changed my life, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm forever indebted to uh, what it's done for me. But um, yeah, I well, that's a, that, that's a pin in it right there. That's you know, seems like what a good what a good place to end on. Yeah.
I hate Walt. That was a yes. good place. That was where, that's the takeaway. Walt, he's a drunk, chain smoking copyright copyright infringer. Is that what? That was that was that, that was the takeaway of the entire. <laughs> uh, my friend. Well, you you will be uh, sorely missed. And uh, thank goodness. Uh, do you have any shows coming up that we can uh, oh my we goodness. Can promote? Because we have, have this should be coming out next Tuesday. Next so. Tuesday. So what's the, I don't even know what today is. Today's the twenty. Yes, I'm at the Yorba Linda uh, um, Chamber of Commerce Comedy Night on March thirty first. It's in Yorba Linda. It's at the community center there. I think it's like twenty five bucks per ticket. I'm headlining that show. Uh, and then in April six. 7th and 8th, or 7th and 8th, I think. I'm in Washington, Richland, Washington, somewhere in the outskirts of eastern Washington um, with Alex Elkin. I'll be featuring for him. And then uh, the Skipper Show, the next Skipper Show scheduled is uh, May 7th, and we're actually in San Diego at the Comedy Palace, uh, 7.30. So, Well, uh, do you have uh, website-y, social media? Uh, social media. I'm, on face- I'm on Facebook, for sure. It's a Kip Hart, two Ps. And then uh, uh, Twitter, uh, Kip underscore Heart Two Ps at Twitter, and uh, that's my main two. Yeah, just so people can find right out now. where to get a hold. Yeah, of you. come on over, join me on Facebook. I got some room for friends, and uh, I don't do anything political. It's all fun and lighthearted. Uh, every once in a while, inspirational, very rarely, but yeah. uh, it's it's a nice uh, oasis. Well, this will sit on the servers for all posterity's sake, and uh, yeah. I cool. always appreciate the time. It's, yeah. I uh, one of the, I love the hanging out with you part of it. It's uh, we always enjoy our our chats and our yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's very eclectic and it's not all you know jungle jungle focused. And uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm thrilled that the stand up thrilled that you got on Conan. I mean, in the audience on Conan. I was on yeah, I was on the audience. I it was, it's, you know the next level. Boner medicine man. It's infamous in its own way, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. Well, it'll <laughs> you'll get on the stage at some point, so I have faith in that. Absolutely. So, and then, it, all right, Kip. I will see you soon, my friend. All right, pleasure. All right, everyone. Uh, lots of great stuff. Facebook, yada yada. Listen to the stuff at the front of the show. It'll tell you where to go. If you are a skipper or know a skipper who would like to do what Kip just did and ramble with me and go down the paths of memory lane and uh, tell your story. Uh, Jungle Cruise, C-R-E-W-S, at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jungle Cruise. Uh, great everyone. Kungaloosh, we'll see you soon.